Just 19 of 74 agencies either increased or held their employee engagement scores steady this year in the best places to work results. One of those agencies was the Energy Department. DOE moved up from 14th to 8th place in the Partnership for Public Services 2022 rankings. The key to improvement? No magic. Listen to employees and act on their feedback. Federal News Network's Drew Friedman sat down with Energy's Chief Human Capital Officer, Aaron Moore. Much of this does start with encouraging employees to speak up and provide feedback on their work environments. And we view FEVS as a really valuable tool for collecting employee input. From our DOE leaders, starting with the secretary and the deputy, on down to frontline managers and our supervisors, we promote the importance of FEVS and we actively encourage employees to participate in the survey. And this commitment from uh, DOE leadership has helped us to achieve the highest response rate among OPM's large agencies for the past five years. And so this past year in 2022, almost 70% of all eligible DOE employees participated in the survey. And that's significantly higher than the government-wide response rate and 20 points higher than other agencies in our category. And so I think that this really helps to ensure that we have good representative data to inform our planning. And most importantly, we pay attention to those results. What specific areas of the results do you look at and what kind of impact can that have? We know that there are several key factors that make an, an employer a choice. Connection to the work and mission. Uh, having a positive relationship with your peers, investing in your people, and workplace flexibilities. And so we have been working really hard to provide an environment that embodies all of those attributes. From promoting the importance of a healthy workplace culture, collecting employee feedback through FEVS obviously is just the first step. And we know one of the worst things that we could do as an organization would be to promote the importance of participating in FEVS, but then not do anything with that survey data. And so that's why we work so hard each year to share the survey results as widely as possible across the department. So not only do we communicate those results to all DOE employees, the secretary and the deputy secretary include uh, highlighting key results in their employee messages. We post them to our intranet. And my team also provides custom reports at each organizational level within the entire department. And so this past year, my team issued over 600 reports where uh, at least 10 employees had completed the survey. So we are able to provide really granular data to many of our departments. And then my team can work with the leadership in those organizations to help them best share their organizational results, And we really feel it's important to be transparent with the data and make sure employees know the results and that DOE will be acting on the input that that they've provided us. I want to go back to something you said just a minute ago. The response rates that you get through FEVs, it's pretty much double the government-wide standard. So that's a huge difference there. Can you tell me more specifically, how do you communicate with employees or encourage them to fill out that survey or why, why is that number so high? I think it's so high because we focus on it at the top. The secretary and the deputy secretary issue uh, videos and communication to all employees before the start of this uh, of the FEVS uh, season, um, talking about the importance of it. And then that just cascades the entire way down the leadership chain. Um, all of the heads of our departmental elements, you know, we do a little competition. Uh, every week we show what the results are and who's doing better and who's doing worse. 
I also think it's really key that our employees take the survey seriously and they know that we'll do something with those results. And so it's frequent and often touch points and communication throughout the entire you know, six weeks that it's open. We also encourage employees to set aside time during uh, their day to take the survey. We've found that that's one of um, the best practices to use um, to ensure people are doing it on their work time and not thinking that they have to use their personal time to give feedback on what they really think about the department. Something that a lot of agencies are kind of facing at this moment is the future of work. A lot of agencies are in a hybrid work schedule. Have you found that to be a challenge with trying to continually engage employees? You know, how are you trying to manage different leadership styles in a hybrid workforce now? I think engagement with employees is always difficult, whether you're face-to-face or whether you're virtual. Um, But even before the pandemic, the Department of Energy has always been in a hybrid environment. We've had field sites everywhere. Um, So you have people in D.C. talking to people in Chicago and in Oak Ridge. And in essence, they're that was virtual, even though some people were at their desk in in an office building. And you absolutely need to be more deliberate in this type of uh, environment. Coming out of the pandemic, like everybody, our employees were really uncertain what the post-pandemic workplace would look like. And we've positioned ourselves to really be at the forefront of embracing and adapting to new ways of working. We've evolved in our working patterns and flexibilities that you know had been on the rise in the private sector pre-pandemic. And our flexibilities are appealing to our workforce. We do options for telework, hoteling, remote work, um, offering flexibilities where the work allows it and it makes sense. But more importantly, trusting our employees to continue the high levels of productivity. And our employees responded this past year, 91% positive to the question on supervisor support work-life balance. And we know it's very important to our current workforce for us to help retain them, but we also know the importance of work-life flexibilities for prospective employees in order to make us competitive in the new hire market. And, you know, we can clearly see that by the number of applicants that apply to remote eligible positions versus geographic specific postings. You know, being flexible in this area helps us to expand our reach into more suburban and rural areas outside the Beltway across the entire country um, and moving outside of the traditional government urban centers. And, you know, not to mention that that is also helping to further our mission by reducing uh, emissions associated with commuting and promoting energy use and savings in our facilities. But to touch a little bit more on the the engagement piece of things, we've really invested in technology needed to have a successful hybrid work environment, providing training um, on how best to leverage these technologies um, so that it's a collaborative and informative you know place to to share and still collaborate. In our FEVS results for that piece, it was 80% positive that um, our employees think they have the information they need to do their jobs. Again, it's being more deliberate and, and really taking that dedicated, proactive approach with you know, talking with your employees, talking with the broader team. I, I, I think you can't over-communicate. How do you communicate to employees 
that, hey, you're actually paying attention to the data here? We do it in multiple ways. We we do it with DOE-wide results and, and communication that just goes to all employees. The secretary and the deputy talk about the importance of it and highlight, you know, things that we are working on as a result of the feedback from the FEVS. And then, again, each head of an organization takes it upon themselves to look at their specific results as well as the subcomponents within them. Again, we did the 600 reports, so there's very detailed information that we're giving managers at the lowest levels possible so they can look and and figure out what is going right, what is going wrong in their organizations and work to improve in those areas. Building off of that then, and where maybe you are looking for improvements in the data, are there areas where the agency maybe is struggling a little bit or the scores aren't as high? And how are you working to address those areas? One area highlighted in the FEVS where we know we need to focus our attention is in the area of leadership. And this isn't unique to energy, but it's, you know, if if you look across the entire government, the leader's lead is um, an an area in FEVS that we all need to to focus on. And we know an organization's culture is set by its leadership and that leaders have an outsized impact on employee engagement. And so we have to lead by example. And so uh, this year, the secretary and the deputy secretary created a a program and we we call it Let's Lead, Tracking a Climate for Change for leadership development for all of our executives. They have reminded us consistently that leadership is a skill in its own right, (laughs) one that requires constant training, whether one is a new manager or you've been doing it for years, you still need to focus on it and work on it to improve. And the Let's Lead um, introduces, it's a structured curriculum uh, to help reinforce key leadership behaviors to help us sustain these improvements that we've worked so hard to achieve. So we're focusing on fostering trust and respect, addressing issues, and communicating effectively. And, you know, the intent is for us as a leadership cadre to go through this together so that we become stronger leaders. And as a DOE leadership team, that we continue to build a culture of trust and respect. Is participation in the program optional? And if so, how are you looking to get more people involved? It is optional. Uh, we did not want to to require people to do something that they didn't want to do because you wouldn't get good results from that perspective. It's intended for all of our executive leadership. And so the secretary uh, was personally involved in doing a kickoff for it. We had a speaker come in and we've partnered with Exec Online uh, to offer various tracks to um, our executives based on uh, various factors from the FEVS results that that track exactly to you know fostering trust and respect, addressing issues, and communicating effectively. So we created a tool where they could take certain questions from the FEVS, put them into the tool, and then it would identify a focus area for them. And then we had the track set up for them to to go online and take the training. We are monitoring it. We do have a really high participation rate. Um, My team in HC, we just went through one session together as a leadership team, and we're supposed to talk about what we learned it's a year-long program. We're going to do and have another speaker coming up in the next couple of months. And so feedback has been really, really quite positive on it. 
aside from that program, are there other areas or upcoming initiatives for the agency that maybe you're hoping will impact uh, employee engagement moving forward? Workload has been identified from our FEVS data as uh, a significant concern for our employees. And we've worked really hard to expand our recruitment and outreach activities to expand both the size and the diversity of our applicant pool, uh, while also investing in new technology to improve the efficiency in our hiring processes. We're reducing our time to hire, we're getting additional team members on board more quickly. Um, we are, this year we released, HC released our strategic plan and the goals outlined in the plan are all directed at growing and supporting our workforce. So we're looking at, as I mentioned, how to use technology to in- improve our recruitment and onboarding, um, pursuing strategies to support our workforce, not just as employees, but as individuals and people and promoting healthy approaches to work-life balance and expanding our employee wellness offerings. Um, We continue to focus on employee development opportunities um, and expand resources for training and development. We've had really successful feedback from the employee development perspective. In our HC strategic plan, our third goal is uh, focused on training, supporting, and developing our workforce. And so we've really focused on re-gearing our professional and leadership development to be new virtual, on demand. Um, We've managed to increase our offerings at the same time. Uh, We've done a new suite of on-demand courses that have over 70,000 new learning assets for every employee. And that's a comprehensive program for SES and senior leadership, as well as, you know, through the entire rank. And, you know, we're really focusing also on introducing some more modern style communications, such as eBooks and animations, some short videos, um, AI to better engage our distributed workforce. What would be your message to other agency human capital leaders in uh, other agencies that might be struggling a little bit more with their scores? I think it's human nature to try and explain away unfavorable results. We do it in our personal lives, we do it in our work lives, but the explanations that we give ourselves don't change the results, right? And I think all agencies, us, DOE included, should really lean into what their employees are telling them through the feedback surveys, as well as other engagement, including listening sessions, individual team meetings. There's various ways other than the FEVS to get some granular data uh, for your workforce. And I think they need to lean in and accept what our employees are trying to tell us, that things can be better. And then we need to work to understand what's behind some of those challenges and collaborate with the employees to develop the strategies to fix it. I mean, we still have a ton of improvements to make, but we believe that our employees trust that we're working to support them and responding to feedback they've provided is helping to make DOE a, a great place to work. I also think that our human capital colleagues are amazing at sharing best practices. And so we have the ability, like from the data and the analysis that's been generated by FEVS and best places, we know what works and what doesn't work. So it provides us with an opportunity to learn from others. We review the rankings, we examine improvements other agencies, 
and the broader HC community is always extremely generous in sharing best practices. My colleagues and I know how important it is to take care of our employees. We're always willing to share what we've learned, either through a success or through a misstep that we had of what not to do. But it's really, you know, reaching out to others who have done this, learn what they did, and see how you can apply that to your own organization. Aaron Moore, Chief Human Capital Officer at the Department of Energy, speaking with Federal News Network's Drew Friedman. Check out Drew's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Dr. David Wilson, President of Morgan State University. David has had a fascinating career and has garnered a long record of accomplishments from more than 30 years of experience in higher education administration. Came to Morgan State in 2010 from the University of Wisconsin, where he was chancellor of both the University of Wisconsin Colleges and the University of Wisconsin Extension. Before that, he held numerous other administrative posts in academia, including vice president for the University of Outreach, associate provost at Auburn University, and um, associate provost of Rutgers. And when we were talking earlier, too, you had just mentioned that you had a um, a wonderful nomination at the American Academy of Arts and Sciences. And David, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, Shane, it is indeed a pleasure uh, to be invited into this conversation with you. It's not in your um, in the short bio here, but I also know you served in some capacity in the Obama administration. Yes, I did, as a matter of fact. As I was leaving the University of Wisconsin, where I oversaw the UW colleges, I accepted the presidency at Morgan. And on my way into the presidency at Morgan in 2010, my name was advanced to President Obama to be considered as a member of his board of advisors on historically black colleges and universities. And so I accepted and served there for eight years during his two terms. Amazing. You've had a fascinating career at numerous universities across the U.S. How did you become passionate about the education field And what are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned? First of all, I was made aware of a quote by Horace Mann, who was a great 19th century educator who really gave rise to public education in the United States. And he was the first to utter the phrase that education is the great equalizer. And why that resonated with me was because I grew up in abject poverty uh, in rural Alabama, and there was no law in Alabama as I was growing up that required black kids to go to school. Uh, I was kind of shut off from formal education on a consistent basis. I didn't get a chance to go to school full-time until I was in the seventh grade. We lived on property there that were owned by um, the white landowners, and so the um, owner of the property, a white woman with bring down to this little shanty that we lived in. And she would bring Look and Life magazines. My mom, uh, she would make us as children plaster these pages of Look and Life magazines against the wall of this little shanty to keep the cold wind out. I would take a kerosene lamp and go around the walls reading those articles in Look and Life magazines, which is when I first came across the phrase of Horace Mann. Hmm. From that point on, I committed myself you know, to education. It's an amazing story. And two things occur to me. One, it's almost incomprehensible that this happened during our lifetime. You know, that to me is uh, almost shocking. It's also truly inspiring that you 
recognized that you could do more and sought out to do that and were successful at it. So when you think back on that experience, how has that informed, shaped, influenced your leadership position now as president of Morgan State? It, it had to have had an impact, but how would you articulate that? So if you go back to that Alabama environment, what I saw, it was just so many people, my own brothers and sisters who were 10 times smarter than I was. But my first five brothers were literate. They never got an opportunity to show the nation how brilliant they were. Therefore, I really took on this whole notion that my life had to be about ensuring that individuals who were drowning in potential and they didn't realize it would be in a position where they would realize it. I was never ever about positions that would enable me simply to replicate privilege. I don't care where you went to school. I don't care what type of family you came from. I think that's where sometimes we kind of get education wrong. Uh, We have institutions that want to define themselves based on how many students they don't admit. I'm about just the opposite, taking individuals who are absolutely stellar and don't realize it and bringing that into existence for them. You've had so many opportunities that you could do other things, perhaps, at um, larger organizations. But you're where you want to be on purpose, by design, for the kinds of reasons you just talked about, that it's, it's fulfilling. But can you talk a little bit more about that? There have been so many so-called top 50 institutions in the United States that have come aggressively after me. And, you know, I flirted with a couple of them. And I went home to Alabama because these two were very serious. And my family is brutally honest with me, and they keep me grounded. So I flew down and began to talk with them about these institutions that were coming after me, I was thinking they would be impressed. And when I finished, my youngest sister said to me, now, are you finished? Clearly, we are not understanding why you would even consider leaving Morgan. It just reassured me uh, that I'm living my purpose at Morgan. And it is joyful uh, to be at a place where you want to be versus being at a place where others think you should be. One question that I always have to ask, is there one leader or maybe a couple of leaders that have inspired you, that have, you mentioned Horace Mann, I don't know if if that fits in this category, but what might be a couple of leaders that you remember that, that inspired you, that gave you a purpose, helped shape your life? In 1989, when I was selected as a W.K. Kellogg Fellow, we had to be introduced to leadership that was different in a lot of ways than the leadership that we had been exposed to. In February of 1990, uh, Mr. Nelson Mandela was released, and that's where I wanted to go and meet Mr. Mandela. We had no idea that he would grant an audience, and he did. He granted an wow. audience, and uh, Mr. Walter Sasulu did as well. So here I am, having grown up in Alabama, I harbored some anger toward the society there that kept me from realizing my potential and then kept so many others like me from ever realizing their potential. At the end of a conversation that we had, someone asked Mr. 
So Sulu, we're leaving this conversation thinking that you harbor no anger towards a society that locked you away for 27 years. Are we leaving with the correct conclusion? He said, I harbored no anger or bitterness towards a society that locked me away for all of those years because I and others like me knew that what we were doing was the right thing. If you commit yourself to doing the right thing, there should never, ever be any space in your heart for anger or bitterness. And that was transformational for me and why I respect and admire Mr. Nelson Mandela and Mr. Walter Sisulu today. That is a great story. And it, you know, with all the accomplishments through your life, I'm sure it had a great impact on your ability to, to go as far as you have and you're still going. Well, uh, I, I have a takeaway in, in terms of leadership lessons I've learned. We would be well served as a nation if I think we created these opportunities for young people at various stages to really, first of all, see the United States. And then we need that same opportunity globally. As a result, when you do that, you understand the history over here. You understand the culture over here. You understand, and you got to understand the world beyond an intellectual understanding. You want to think of your maturation in a way where your brain can never, ever, ever be hacked. <laughs> so that's sort of the way, that's sort of the I, I way that I kind brilliant. of see all of that. That's you know? brilliant. And um, being born in rural southwest uh, Kansas, flyover country, as they say, I can, I can tell you that your, your comments about traveling, getting out, not just reading about it, but actually traveling, it, it really is important. It's absolutely critical for someone's personal development. I, I, I happen to think so. Well, Dr. <laughs> David Wilson, thank you so much. I love every single piece of today, but also your life story. It's really impressive, inspiring, and thank you for sharing it. Shane, today. thank you very much for inviting me to have this conversation with you again. And I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. We'll see you next time on the Lessons in Leadership podcast.